HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Master Sommelier Michael Engelman. We'll talk to Michael about the global wine world, and we'll talk to him about restaurant, restaurant wine lists and a bunch of other things. We'll taste a Ribera Sacra for our weekly wine sip, and Michael snuck in a Shenan from South Africa, so that'll be fun to taste. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Alsatian-born Michael Engelman knows wine. I mean, this guy knows wine more than most people know wine. He is a wine and spirits best new sommelier. He has won the American Sommelier Association's best sommelier in America. He's a master sommelier. He is... Only one of 14 master psalms to receive the Krug Cup. What is the Krug Cup, you ask? Well, you receive it when you pass all three parts of the psalm test on the first day. So if 14 people did it, it probably isn't that easy. So that's my point. Michael's a smart guy. Uh, Michael Engelman is the wine director at Danny Meyer's The Modern at the Museum of Modern Art and Untitled at the Whitney both in New York City. I think this guy only likes to pour wine at museums, but we'll find out about that. <laughs> Michael, welcome to the Grape Nation. Hi, hi Sam. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, 
I think we have a lot to talk about. I hope we can get to it. But before we get started, I would love you to tell our listeners a little about your background and your journey in life and wine that got you really to where you are today, which is the modern in New York City, and concentrate more on the wine-centric, you know, past 10 years. There's some colorful stops along the way that I think, you know, shaped what you are and, who, you know, what you're doing, who you are and what you're doing. Uh, for sure. Uh, I think I maybe start very briefly about uh, the very beginning part of... Uh, okay. Yes, uh, born and raised in eastern France, in Alsace. Uh, a great wine region. Absolutely. <laughs> in a family that's not in a, in a food wine business, but uh, my parents love wine. My dad always liked opening wine, you know, on the weekend, Christmas, uh, inviting people over. And he's always been pretty open-minded about what he opens. So it's always been about not just wine from the region, but, you know, other parts of France, other parts of Europe or the world. And it's pretty unheard of in those regions in France. You know, when you're from one region, you drink local, and that's all you do. So Is that true? Yeah, I mean, if you, you go... You kind of stay insular? If you go to Burgundy, you tend to stay in well, Burgundy. Well, that part and, I get, but... <laughs> I mean, I don't blame them either, but, yeah. you know, it's... But I, I think that was... That affected uh, me whether I wanted... I, I knew about it or not, and why we have such a diverse wine is today too at the modern but uh so grew up like that didn't know what i wanted to do really i thought it would be cool to be a bartender uh <laughs> something like that okay. you can travel in the world and make some good money and so i went to culinary school uh wine class was pretty easy I, I learned it and i remembered it and i liked it but i started as a server uh in france and a uh, couple of things happened. So I'm in my early 20s, three Michelin star restaurant. I'm a captain, so a server, right? And on a Sunday afternoon, uh, I helped. I always help the sommeliers a lot. And uh, as I'm pouring wine, the guests ask me, what the grape of this wine? And I look at the label, and I have no clue. And I'm like, how oh, can I be working in a three Michelin star restaurant? My goal is to be a maitre d' GM in a beautiful place in Paris one day and not know that much about wine. So... Quickly, I realized I have to go to in England or the U.S. and really be fluent in English, and I have to really have a great wine knowledge if I want to be that general manager. Of Did a you speak any English? Broken? Uh, a little bit. Okay. Was, my second language was German. Okay. But so very quickly, I moved to England, and while living in England, I became friend with the assistant wine director there. He uh, he quickly realized I liked wine. And uh, one day... What year was that? That was 2004. And that was in Hampshire at a restaurant? Yeah, that was at the Chewton Glen, so on a, in, a, in a new forest, so on the, south, on the coast of England. Okay. Uh, and very quickly, you see, I like wine. One day, come to see me, say, such and such left. There's a room in the wine team for you. Do you want it? I need to know now. The guy was pretty intense, became a good friend. And I'm like, sure, I'll do it. So... Uh, you know, that's when I really started to read about wine. When I realized that I didn't know that grape in that fancy restaurant in France, and back in England, I started to be a sommelier. So that's how it really started. So I spent a couple of years in that's England. That's where the wine focus that's really when, Yeah, that's when really the, the, the wine focus started. So after I left school, I was always helping sommeliers, going to wine tasting, help with inventory. But I was still a server, you know, and... Uh, uh, became very good friends with the sommeliers, and they were. I, I met really awesome people. So I, I love wine, and I, I loved everything that went with it. Uh, 
And as I'm in England for a couple of years, I'm like, okay, it's time to move on. Uh, I like to travel some more. So at the time, I was wondering between America and Australia. Uh, and I had met a lot of people that came back from the US and we absolutely loved it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get a visa for, uh, for the US. So I sent about 20 resumes all over the country. Uh, one restaurant, a couple of places replied to me, and the one place I really wanted to go to uh, it was one of them and offered me a, a, a position in the restaurant. So, And that was? That was Gary Danko in San Francisco. So, so. incredible market, yeah. incredible restaurateur, restaurant. So this, on this Were point some of your choices in New York, too? Uh, yes. Okay. I, I had sent, like, you know, I think I took the Forbes Five Star, Relay Chateau, I don't think they were Michelin stars quite yet, but I picked all the top places and a couple of them got back to me and I'm like, San Francisco it is. I knew nothing about it. I thought it'd be warm and sunny. It's not really no, San no, Francisco. No, no. So but you leave uh, England to uh, go to San Francisco. Yeah, so it's 2005. You get a legit job. Yeah. So I tell my parents I'm leaving for the US. I was 23. I didn't know wow. anyone. I just... You know, packed a suitcase, moved to to SF, and a wine job, not a server. And I had a, and I had my, a, a wine job. Yeah, sorry, I had been a sommelier for about a year and a half in England. Right. Uh, okay. But as you know, as I moved to, I moved to San Francisco. There's, you know, it's a, it's a special, very beautiful restaurant, fine dining. I have to learn all the tricks. So that means I start to run food again. I mean, I'm a server assistant. Uh, along that way, I help sommeliers. During inventory, and very slowly, I make my way into the wine team again. So uh, that was 2005. Right. And, uh, and on top of that, you know, after two years in England, my, my, my English was way better. But moving Proper to the, English. Yeah. <laughs> moving to the US, I had to learn American, you know. Right. Uh, which is a bit different, but, the, you know, getting used to the culture, the accent, and so on, it was... Sure. Uh, until you leave it, you don't quite realize how much of a challenge it can be. So you spend how much time at Gary Danko's restaurant? Uh, five years. Five years. Yeah. And you left as the wine director? Uh, not quite. Not quite? Uh, not quite. So I spent five years there. Uh, in 2000, So I started in 2005. In 2009, I came to New York for a, a sommelier competition. And that was an important one because I was the American Sommelier Association. Uh, I arrived in New York. I didn't know anyone. Uh, it was my first time in New York, I think. Second time in New York. You came for the competition? Uh, I came for the competition. Yeah. And were you nerding it up a lot, reading a lot, studying, or just kind of on the floor? Well, look, at the time, at the time I was going for my level three advanced sommelier okay, course. Okay, so you so were stuck. Okay. I was far from it, but I was, yeah, I guess I, I really was starting to read about wine, you know. Uh, my wine director at the time in San Francisco said, I think, you, you could be a master sommelier, you know, I think you could do it. I'm like, okay, so I, that sounds cool. I know nothing about it. But was that a real compliment that he saw that you got it, got it quickly, knew a lot? A bit, because yeah. from this point on, a lot of good stuff happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it doesn't come down to the title. Of course, it's it's a great achievement. It, something so special, but... Beyond that, he was a person. He was such a wonderful person, and he really, you know, was right. part of my development and shape who all I am. All the right things. All the, all the right thing. Uh, he was such a great person, and that's when really I started to go more to tasting and meet people and read about wine and know more about wine. So, 
it's all the things that uh, helped me shape my career f- to where right. I am today. So, so you come to New York 09, you come to compete in the... Somil- American Sommelier Best Sommelier in America. Right, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had Aldo Soman here. I think he won Best Som in Austria four times. I mean, that's, you know, once, four, any time. So Aldo had won in 2007. That, that's Best Sommelier in America. America, that's yeah. right. He came over here. And so I ended up winning in 2009. Okay. Uh, but what really came with that was, I was like, okay, who's that guy? What's going on? But beyond that was that I won be- one of the best new sommelier by Wine and Spirit magazine. Right. Uh, in 2009. You know. So that was a busy, but, crazy, great year for you, 09. That was great. And in 2009, I also passed my uh, advanced uh, sommelier exam for with the yeah, WSET for, 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 for the Court of Master Sommeliers, right? And I ended up passing it with the highest score. So, what it really meant is that that well, wait, pa- stop there for a second. Yeah, I'm, I'm going you had the, the highest score. There's an award, there's like the RUD and the other thing for the highest score. Yeah, I won the RUD, right? So, you not only passed the test, you basically killed it and beat everyone. I'm pretty competitive. So, are you? F- Starting to figure out that you know this crab cold now. <laughs> well, you know, it started is my friend that passed the exam early in the year got the highest score, and he had a good idea of telling me that if you if you get the highest score, you get a five thousand dollars scholarship. Ah, there's something. <laughs> so to I'm like, to. I'm very competitive. Five thousand dollars sound amazing. Uh, let's just study as much as I can. You so know? You, you study for the competition. I study for the competi- uh, for the exam. The ex- study. The, the Ameri- best American sommelier. Is yeah. that an exam or a competition? Yeah, sorry, I'm all over the place. Uh, it's okay. It's, I'm, I'm studying for both. Okay. But the competition is first. So Competition and for master sommelier. Yeah, so the competition okay. is in 2009 in February or March. And in 2009 in July, there was an advanced sommelier. Right. So that Exam. Year. And that's where I passed with the highest score. Right. But what he really meant is that those two things ended up giving me the one of the best new sommelier by Wine and Spirit magazine right. in 2009. Which is great exposure. With Josh Green. Right. We, we talked about Josh. He so, does that every year. And it's a great opportunity for sommeliers to get exposure and recognition. Um, all right. Let's move. Because remember I told you I don't want to spend forever on this. Yeah. So 2009, important year. Those two accomplishments. Um, you come to New York for the competition. Something interesting happens. You leave the country. Yeah, and, and, and the reason why I talked about that uh, Wine and Spirit uh, mm. magazine is that the price that came with it was a trip to Australia. So with Josh Green from Wine and Spirit magazine and Wine Australia in early 2010, uh, five, sum, five sum years at once, so Dustin Wilson and... Uh, that you probably know and have uh, met. Dustin's been on the show. And, friend. you know, a few of the friends, we all went to Australia. So early 2010, we went to Australia. In between, I hear about this crazy restaurant in Sydney that has an unbelievable wine list. Called? Uh, Rockpool Bar and Grill. Right. You uh, showed me pictures. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Go online and look up Rockpool in Australia. You've never seen a restaurant like this. So what happens? A regular at Gary Danko from Australia told me about the restaurant. So I went home. I looked at the wine list. I was like, I've rarely seen that. So when I went to Australia, I ended up meeting one of the person from Rockpool. And, you know, just exchange business card and 
uh, and so on. So the trip to Australia was uh, pretty special, nearly two weeks. Wow. Was, uh, Were there a while? I stayed a couple more days in Sydney. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, it, it was very special. We, I think we tried wines we've never had before. That, you know, uh, changing of the vision of what Australia might be. And uh, come back to San Francisco, and three months later, I got an email saying, Hey, this is Sophie from Rockpool. We met. We, I'm looking for someone to oversee Rockpool Bar and Grill in Sydney. Are you interested? So... That was like in June. Did you have to think about it or you knew in your mind you were going to do it? Uh, no, I had to think about it for sure. You right. know, I mean, it's... <laughs> it's a it's, big step. It's a big step moving around the world. You know, you're only going further away from your family. Right. Uh, you know, there's the whole visa situation and so on. So Right. It's not walking through the door no, and starting it's not. the next day. But, you know, I was going for my master's so many at the time. I had the best group of friends I've had in San Francisco. Leaving a lot behind. Because San Francisco back then was, you know, everyone was living there. And there was but so much going on. It was it was amazing. But you pulled the trigger and went there. So pull, the deep thing that made you want to go there was what? Curiosity? The experience? I was a sommelier in San Francisco. And the, the opportunity in Sydney was to be my first wine director job. But Michael, I mean, you didn't necessarily have to go to <laughs> Sydney to get a wine director job. I, I, I didn't have to, no. And there had been a couple more opportunities along the way, but I passed them because I didn't think it was the right one. But there was my first wine director job. I had a team of 10 sommeliers, 4,000 selection. Wow. It, was, it was overwhelming and scary, but I wanted, it was... The reason why I really went is because I wanted to learn about so many wines you don't get to see anymore. Right. So, you know, 45 the circumstance and, was different. 45 and 47 Bordeaux, you know, tried right. all Romane Conti, try, try all those legendary wines. So what year do you take the job? Uh, I moved in November 2010. Right. And you spent how many years there? So I spent uh, four years. And what you set out to do there, you accomplished the exposure to those wines, taking the reins of the wine program. Yeah, uh, I'd like to think so. Yeah, now it was, uh, it was, you know, it was a bit of a difficult start to get used to a new culture and new right. everything. But uh, very quickly, what I'm proud of is that we had built a uh, a culture, you know. And right. I, th I think to me that was maybe the one thing missing. I, I do think the wine list became better because one of my priority was to have more Australian wines. Right. And you know, a lot of older. So an Australian restaurant didn't have enough Australian wines. There was a lot of it. Uh, you know, we had 4,000 selection, super heavy on Burgundy, Bordeaux, right. Barolo, and so on. We had great Australian wine, but A, we are a very busy restaurant. We sell a lot of wine, Australian lads to drink. Uh, but I, I, I thought that there was an opportunity to increase the selection of Australian wine. So I think that's so a good we, idea. We went to auction and private sellers, and we just, I think we had built what nobody had before in Australia, just an an incredible selection so and those ones were very popular so you spend four years there um at the end of the fourth year you decide to leave why and then what happens uh yeah i mean it's not quite like that but i'm like i mean sydney it's probably the best job i've had the best lifestyle and absolutely loved it aside from me is like okay what's next i like challenges 
Uh, but in the same time, I get an email one day uh, from uh, John Reagan and Sabato. From Union Square. From Union Square. And they're like, hey, Michael, you know, I knew them. They were, we knew each other. Uh, they're like, what's up? We, we're looking for a wine director of the modern. Are you, would you Was like. Was Dustin working at 11 Madison for those guys then? Uh, 11 Madison wasn't part of oh, USAG right. anymore. Daniel and Will separated. Right. Well, so. you know what I realized throughout the years, and that's why I talk about it, is everything connect to each other. Right. I, I met Dustin on a trip in Australia. Right. Dustin knew that I had an interest in potentially moving to New York. Dustin, uh, Dustin talks to Sabato and John, which then that's, they, that's what I was they, re to. they reach out to me and say, what's going on? So he was a conduit, Dustin. Yes. And, okay. uh That's how I'm like... This, uh, I think they reached out in January, February, and I moved in New York to, to New York in July. July of what year? 2014. Okay. Um, and you joined the Modern yeah. that year, right? Yeah. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to ask you a bunch of questions. So I'm curious. You grow up in Alsace. You talk a little about your family. You know, wine was around, but it wasn't, you know, a crazy wine family. You work in Australia for four years, really, you know, an opportunity to shape everything at the wine program there. Um, that's not a typical background for a lot of New York sommeliers. And it's Alsatian-born, <laughs> worked in Australia, San Francisco, and all that. Did those experiences change or shape, you know, the way you view wine or your career? I mean, do, do you look back and say... Oh, there's no doubt about it. How? I think yeah, I change as a person. Okay. Personally, professionally. Uh, look, I'm, I'm from I'm, I'm I'm European. There's no doubt I drink a lot of European wines at home. That's not a Brooklyn accent. But no. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. And mostly French, but at the end of the day, I think that that the exposure should be in England, then SF, then Australia, has opened my vision and my mind uh, to wine. Um, do you think more than if you just stayed in the states? Oh yes. So there's no, there's no doubt about okay. it. Okay. I mean, you know, in what about wine? I mean, the wine world and culture is a little different there. The type of wines that are consumed are different. So you had a different exposure than just sitting at a fancy New York restaurant for a bunch of years. True. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. I think my exposure to wines from Australia, from South Africa, from everywhere. But I also want to say wines from Burgundy. You know, I mean, I, right. I worked on four different markets, three continents, and some producers are highly regarded in some markets and less in others. Right. And so you experience that. Yeah. And yeah. when I moved to New York, I started to order some Burgundy producers, Ribera Saka producers, and, you know, like a bunch of random stuff. And my reps asked me, it's like, what's going on? How do you know those wines? You right. know, it's like they were, they were not hip at the time, don't know no whatsoever. But you were ahead of the curve in a way. I don't know. That's, it yes, sounds I, like you were. Yeah, in a way. I'm not. Or you were willing to. I, I wasn't as loud as. I, I wasn't loud as loud about it back then. You know, I wasn't. Right. I wasn't on Instagram all the time, you, and so you on. You didn't but, have to howl. You just did. You but I, I just did it because yeah. I liked the wine. I believed in it, and I, I knew about it. So that that is for sure. My traveling has shaped me as a, a professional right. and also opened my mind and thinking differently about uh, wines. Yeah, I'm a very different person in that regard. There's no doubt. Yeah. Right, so I think it's fair to say, um, because of that, your view on wine is maybe more global. Your wine lists are more global. 
Um, so I want to tap into you while you're here and spend a few minutes talking to me about, and currently, mm-hmm. you don't have to look ahead and predict or look back. Tell me about wine regions and wines around the world right now, and even if you focus on a few, that'd be great, that excite you. The list is long. <laughs> this is, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep the tempo and pace going. No, but I think you're right that, uh, look, I think we have, uh, I honestly think that that reflection is a little bit in the wine list and uh, the selection we have at the modern in a way. Right. And you brought that to the list. We have but a, I want you to tell, because not all my listeners go eat at the mine. Yeah. So I want you to tell them, listen, here's some, like you brought in a Shannon from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want you to drop some knowledge on people. So when they listen to this show, they go, that sounded good. That seemed like a good value. This guy seems to know what he's talking about. Well, I, Let's talk about some regions of wine. I, I think South Africa is there's a lot to be said about the country, and there's stuff happening down there that people should know more about. <laughs> All right, uh, so because South Africa is a region, yeah, or a country. But country, I, uh, right? Country. I, I mean, Sydney about region. seven, eight years ago, and I tried a couple of producers that totally changed my vision and mind of South African wine. Let's you know? talk about a couple of producers that. I mean, one of them is Sadi Family. Spell it. Uh, S A D I E. Sadi Family, yes. and they. What kind of wines are they making? Uh, even Sadi is one of the pioneer of the new South Africa, if okay. you want to say. And uh, uh, he makes twelve, fifteen different wines. Okay. But can you get them here in the States? You, Better wine stores, restaurant lists? Yes, you can. Okay. You can have the modern and good wine stores. That it's small quantity. They come and go. Right. They have a big follower a following now. But uh, I think the one are incredible. White and red. It sources very old vineyards, very specific sites. Uh, Price reasonable or they're on... Well, he's a bit the superstar of the country. So, the, you know, okay. if you define... Reasonable, and if you compare it to uh, a Burgundy or Rhone, they, it'll be cheaper. S- some people, nah, it'll probably be a bit be expensive. Okay, but I think the wine are worth it. I think they're the truly special wines. Okay, we're talking to Michael Engelman. Michael is the wine director at the Modern at the Museum of Modern Art and Untitled at the Whitney in New York. Um, we're talking about wine regions. All right, so South Africa. Yeah, and uh, uh, the other producer is Mulineux. Spell M U L L I N E U X Molino. Yeah, and they have a, a wider range from you know under twenty dollar on the shell in the store okay. up to uh, hundred plus. Um, I was just in South Africa last November, and okay. it was just unbelievable. Everything you hear about the beauty of the country and the yeah, people. Yeah, I've seen pictures. It's uh, beautiful. It's very special, and there's all right. So give me another. Favorite new region. Favorite new region. I Not, mean, I think I think you picked the red, and I think that's it's what, the Ribera Sacra in Galicia, in Spain. So okay, so it's Spanish. Uh, the region is Ribera Sacra. So in northwestern Spain. Okay. Uh, pretty much above Portugal, not too far from the ocean. Uh, you know, it's it's centuries of winemaking, but you're really talking about the last couple of decades, last decade, That's where it. a newer generation uh, is working some incredible work and paying people are paying more attention to. Okay. And, uh, um, give me a winemaker or two. 
Is Alguera one of the ones that we have here a good yeah, one? Okay. <laughs> I think I picked a great one. Okay. Another and one Another one is Guimaro. Spell. G uh, U I M A R O. Okay. I will post these on our mm. social media sites so people can kind of look them up. Um, all right. Can you give me one other wine or region that excites you? I mean, look, there's no doubt that today in the Northern Rhone or the Loire Valley. Okay. Uh, so the Northern Rhone and Loire are exciting regions. Yeah. So St. Joseph, Hermitage, Cornas, yeah. all the Northern Rhones, some great vintages, 15, 16, current, right? Absolutely. I just think there's, I think it's such an exciting era to be drinking wine, you know. It's should uh, be in the Rhone, in the Beaujolais, in the Loire, in South Africa, in California. You know, if you look at the last 10 years onwards, uh, that newer generation of wine consumer, blogger, radio shows, uh, Millennials, <laughs> winemakers, yeah. it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's so exciting. I, I, I agree with you. And I agree that all the regions you mentioned and many more, mm. you know, are terrific. All right. Let's talk a little about the modern and untitled. Um, you got there over three years ago, I think, if you do the math, and you started with somewhat of a clean slate. Wasn't there a new chef and um, pastry chef, and, you know, they brought you in to do the wine program. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So you get to the wine program, which was pretty damn good, and you do what? I know you expand it. What and how? Modern has always been a... An amazing restaurant for ten plus years, right? And three, four years, four years ago, new chef, new pastry chef, as you said, and everything. I'm, I'm brought on board as a new wine director. I think it was a great timing because of uh, the location in the Museum of Modern Art in the heart of Midtown. You know, I, sculpture garden. The sculpture garden. It, it's probably the most diverse restaurant I worked in. You know, you have the bar. You have the bar room. You have the dining room. You have the private dining room. It's uh, each with a different feel. Each with a different feel. Then you have a clientele that's from around the world. And the, the beauty of New York is everyone comes to New York for business, traveling, for they want to see it. So we get such a diverse clientele. Then you have my story of having traveled, you know, a little bit and worked everywhere. I, I, I just think it, it made sense to have a global wine list. Then on top of New York... Was it more pigeonholed to the classic Burgundy, Bordeaux, Cali cult thing? I cannot compete with the Burgundy selection of Danielle. It's just, okay. uh, <laughs> All right. you know, and yeah. we have a great Burgundy selection, but and I think it's important for so many reasons. But I, I thought it would be great to have a global wine list uh, because not so many people pay attention to, so there's no point of just doing the same exact all over than everyone else. And I just thought it really makes sense with the location of the restaurant, who we are the restaurant, and ultimately... I, I think a great, a great, a great cooking is when you have a bit of charisma and personality. And I think a great wine list is when you can feel there is some sort of vision, charisma behind it. And I, I just thought those two aligned. The ones are available in New York, so I'm like, let's go for it. And I had, yeah, you're right. They let me do whatever I want. Uh, you know, so, I, I have a budget and so on. But. Right, which is a nice thing to have. Yeah. So you literally expand three times from one to 3,000 bottles. Where, uh, where was the expansion the most obvious? 
Uh, we went from a thousand to three thousand selection in eighteen months. Uh, we went from five Australian to a hundred. So Australia, right off the bat, yeah, you know, twenty times over. Yeah, twenty times over. I mean, Burgundy was probably three page of red Burgundy, and now we probably have fifteen. So uh, honestly, it's all over the place. Cali- Napa Valley, you know, a huge. Uh, honestly, it's all over the place. Uh, right, South Africa. South Africa, we probably have 40, 50 wines, and uh, there were none when I started. So Bordeaux? Uh, Bordeaux, we've expanded a lot. Uh, okay. You know, all the vintages. And what about the Teutonic wines? Germany, Austria, Rieslings? I mean, you expanded that? Yes. You know, I, I often think about that. As sommeliers, we... <laughs> Talk about Riesling a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, sommeliers, we tend to like the... And po- the <coughs> less popular child, you know, and we tend to ext- extend in those regions that uh, incredibly, you know, I mean, you know, we have six pages of German Riesling. Do we right. sell that much of it? Probably not. So it's more exuberance towards the wine yeah, than I mean, what really sells. <laughs> I hope my so boss. That's, that's a sommelier. I, 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 you hope your boss I, is not I, listening. I hope my boss is not listening. Right. Does it make sense fully? No, but look, we, we sell the wine. We have all the vintages. come in late at night and drink it. Yeah. And, go for and you know, a lot of those wines are so affordable. And we, yeah. we do have a lot of clientele that loves it. So Yeah. Um, I always wondered about this, and I, I, I think you can tell me better than anyone. Um, wine by the glass. A lot of people think it's not a big deal, but when you go into a restaurant that's as diverse as the modern and has a guy like you curating it, there's an opportunity to taste stuff that you'd never taste anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I mean, wine by the glass is important for a restaurant, right? It's probably the hardest part of my job. In what sense? Because we are so busy. Because we are so busy and... But what is that? I don't know why that means something. uh, it's a great problem to have, right? Uh, <laughs> and I, 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 I want to have that problem, but the success of the wine program is a success through the staff, right? So right. if I change the wine by the glass three times a week and the staff can't keep up and follow up, we're not going to do anything. So it's time consuming. It, it's time consuming and you have a staff that knows very little about wine, that doesn't know what's happening. And, and the goal is as much for them to be comfortable with it so they can create that experience and talk I expect my sommeliers to talk about wine to our guests and right. provide something and be knowledgeable. But when you server or even better, you food runner, the guys that drops you drink can do it. I think that's a true success. So right. wine by the glass in a busy environment. But I also think that the, the wine by the glass is a bit your cover page. So, but isn't it a reflection? Like yes. you better be laying down some pretty nice stuff. So, you know, we have, we have 10 whites. We have 10 reds. Out of those 10 whites, I would like to have... You know, three, four domestics. Out of that, you know, I need to uh, have wine that are a bit right. fresher and younger, but also want something with age. I need something lighter bodied. I need something full bodied. I need something that's very affordable and maybe something that is a bit more special. And I want to have something a bit more classic as a producer, and I want something a bit more new and up and coming. I want something that's that a bit more time consuming, a bit more weird and wonderful, and something that is, you know, what I'm going to open it and I can recognize something. I don't, I, I can order and I feel comfortable about it. That's why this. That's that's why it's 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 it's, it's so difficult. So ten wines by the glass just on the white sounds like a decent amount, but you have a challenge. To balance all the things you just discussed, right? And then it rotates seasonally, but, availability. Yeah, and I haven't even talked, uh, you know, I mean, 
you manage, uh, you know, the season, the cooking, your clientele. Right. So it's, uh, it's right. 10, 12 white, 10, That's 12 red. That's the most fluid situation, the by the glass thing. Let's say that my mind doesn't stop when it comes to the thing, and I want to look at it like if I was a guest. So on the business side, is by the glass an important part of the wine program? Does it make up for... It's huge. It is huge. Okay. Oh. All right. Um, so don't look down or discount by the glass especially at a good restaurant when you have a guy like michael engelman picking them you're going to taste stuff one that not everyone gets and two you know the guys explored the world to put the best stuff in front of you um you know i'm a big restaurant guy i'm a big wine drinker i'm not afraid to go out and you know for meals spend some money and buy some wine here's what i want you to help me decipher um, the Modern and Untitled are part of Danny Myers Union Square Hospitality Group. He decided to go to a no-tipping. The gratuity is part of the check and all of that. So let me set the scenario up. So I've been, you know, I worked in the corporate world for a million years. You go out, you order 800 bucks worth of food and $2,000 worth of wine. We always wrestled with how to tip that. You know, do you put the same percentage of tip towards the wine as you do the food? Do you look at it cumulatively? Do you do less on the wine and give the psalm, you know, some cash? You know, now that's taken care of, right? But in that circumstance, if the wine is substantially more than the food, the same principle applies? It's that one percentage? Uh, that's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> it is a good question because I've been in the situation a million. No, I mean, look, and you you'll have a lot of people that tip twenty percent, whether they spend uh, hundred bucks or ten thousand on wine, and those don't. I, I I understand that. The way I approach the pricing of of wine is not uh, my my cost times something plus fifteen, ten, twenty percent. Uh, let's say that it's I look at it as everything being included. You know what I. What I really want to do with the modern is to, to offer amazing value all, all across the board. So we have 3,000 selection, but we have 400 wines under $100 on the wine list. Service included. That's a lot of wine, you know. That's a lot of wine and much? a lot of value offered. I would like to think so. And, you know, and I, I feel really comfortable with the great wines of Burgundy and Napa Valley and wherever it might be that <clears throat> we, we offer really good pricing and are very, very competitive so because you feel good about the pricing, you're, the tipping, it, it, it's sort of natural. You know, you're not hammering the wines. So the tipping, so everybody feels good about the price, the selection, the tipping. I think that's fair. Yeah. You know, you won yeah, me you over know, with that. I've been to restaurants where the markups are ridiculous. And it's like, I'm offended by the price and I'm supposed to tip on I, this? I'm not, I'm not going to say we're inexpensive. It's... Two Michelin star in a dining room. It's Midtown. It's New York. New York is expensive. But if I really look at where we're standing and what we do, I think it's really good. You know, I, I work in a museum, but I don't want the, the cellar to be a museum either. So. Right. All right, Michael, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I have a couple of more questions, and then I want to subject you to our weekly wine list. And we have a couple of bottles in front of us, and we are going to taste the Ribera Sacra for our weekly wine sip, and we'll also talk about the Shannon you brought in. So we're talking to Michael Engelman. Michael Engelman is a master sommelier. He's the wine director at The Modern, at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and at Untitled at the Whitney. We'll be right back with Michael.
The following program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Michael Engelman, Master Sommelier, Best Sommelier in America, uh, Wine and Spirits, Best New Sommelier, does well on his tests, all-around good guy. Uh, Michael, you have a presence on social media. I see you um, tooting and touting about different things. I want to ask you how social media, and I ask a lot of my guests this, how do you think social media has changed wine and how we look at it and what effect it's had on it? That's massive. <laughs> it's massive uh, it's... compared to when it didn't exist. Massive in a good way? Uh, yes, I think so, mostly. You know, at the end of the day, people look at wine. They want to drink wine. I think it's all very positive. Some wines are harder to find and harder to get. Uh, now there's one thing you need to remember. I mean, I mean, Sydney, I'm on the other side of the world, and I see all those guys in New York posting crazy wine, you know. Right. Expensive or not. Right. And going to those crazy tasting, and all I could think of is I want to be one of those person, you know. I so wanna... there's discovery, there's envy. Yeah, I mean, right? you, you know, this weekend there's Riesling fire, you know. Right. And I had uh, Stefan called it, Stephen, not Stephen, yeah. Stephen called in last week just to talk a little about so it. So I'm like... Are you going to be one of the sommeliers yeah, there? I'm going to be there. Okay. Yeah. So social media, you see all the things, I want to be one of those persons. So it has changed a lot, there's no doubt. But more people talk about it, uh, it's great, you know I mean? They want to drink more wine, and less cocktail, I'm all for that. Do you think... See, I think social media is great for discovery. I learn a lot about wine in the industry. Mm. You know, I follow you. And, you know, just even when you're out to lunch on a Sunday with your buddies, just looking at the bottles of wine on the table, it's like, what are these geeky psalms drinking with Chinese food on a Sunday? That, to me, is important discovery. But I also see a lot of guys, like, mine's bigger than yours. You know, they're posting all these trophy bottles and all of that. I mean, which is sort of what you alluded to. You're sitting in Australia, and these guys in New York are, you know, mm. pumping out all these wines. I mean, look, I there's no doubt I post a lot of trophies too, and it's part of it. And yeah, you know, you all get excited. Everyone is at the same event. We all taste the same amazing one. We all want to share the world, and so on. And it's a part of it. It's too much sometimes. You know, it's a pendulum effect. But I mean, it's. New York is crazy. It's a crazy market. But and in reality, you're at one of the finest restaurants mm. with one of the finest lists and the most enviable amount of wine passes through every night. And, you know, I don't see you every now and then I'll see you, you know, shoot a bottle of something interesting, but not every night. And, you know, it's, it's, it's part of your culture daily. It is. And I post a lot of. I post a lot, and I post way more, and there's a lot of fancy bottles, but I, you know, I don't post everything because I don't right. want to. I don't have the time. Right. And, but I always like the idea of 
you know, I know there are places around the world I want to go to because I see them on Instagram. Right. Should it be a wine or a restaurant? That's discovery. And I always thought, you know, when I go to New York, I want to eat in this place. I want to drink this wine. So is it is the side of me happy with that we slowly through social media have built something at the modern that we have people that all over the world, there's thousands of restaurants, they want to come to the modern tonight to have right. a glass of wine. Right. I mean, it's pretty awesome. All right, tell me one last thing before we go to our um, wine list, which I want to ask you a bunch of questions. Um, there's no doubt, you know, Union Square Hospitality Group does it as well or better than anyone. And I think there's a culture there. Um, you've been there a bunch of years now. Is it real? I mean, do you see it compared to other places? I mean, you've the, stayed... The, the, the culture? Yeah. I love it. You know, it's... You know, us as human people, we're always going to critique and say this and say that. I've been in this industry for nearly 20 years, four countries, three continents. I've seen it all. Right. You know, and I worked in wonderful places. But I really enjoy what I have. And I, I like the culture, the way we... The people I work for, people I work with, I have conversation with some of my, you know, managers and bosses and that I've never had elsewhere. Because and of the culture. Because of the culture. And the way I want to approach it with my staff is, in a way, I want to do that. You know, things I maybe didn't like, I don't want them to have the same experience. And I, will, I, I, I think it's very healthy. And, uh, and I really think the team we have... I'll say that. I've never worked in a restaurant where I'm so much in the kitchen talking to the chef, asking about the recipe, tasting the sauce. And, and uh, the culture's yeah. conducive to that. Oh, mate. So happy employees yeah. are very obvious to customers, yeah. which make them feel good. I'm a, I love cooking. I'm a way better cook at home. And I'll are tell you? you anything. I keep the guys watching. I ask questions. Right. They're, they're nice. You know, so it's, it's us, front of house and back of house. It's us as a team and everyone else i i really think the it's so easy and so difficult but i think the recipe works yeah so is it fair to say that they sort of get it right i mean it it's conducive to everything you said i mean that's an emphasis yeah in the workplace i mean i think danny nailed it with you know right. his recipe for 30 I, years i just book. like to ask people and that are you know in that culture yeah um which is a nice thing all right, Michael, we're going to move to our wine list, the weekly wine list. It's a bunch of questions that I subject you to. We don't want to spend a lot of time on each one, so barrel through them. Um, so first question is, what are you drinking now? What are you tasting through? What's on your table? What's at work? What's a current fave rave? You're gonna hate me because it's. Really, I don't hate you. I love you. <laughs> it's, it's all over the place. Now I mean, what did I drink last? Uh, I drank some uh, wine from Sicily. Sicily, know. yeah, very cool region. What are some of the grapes from Sicily? Nerello Mascalese. Mascalese. Yeah. Okay. So I had some great German dry German riesling the other day. That was just okay. stunning. Is and that cabinet? Uh, it was not cabinet. It was it was a trocken riesling. Trocken riesling. I made some ceviche, and it was just... Okay, was perfect so, match. It was so, so you're good. drinking a little Riesling now. You're drinking yeah. a little uh, Sicilian wines. All right, good ones. Michael Engelman's favorite wine and food pairing. Is there one? Is there a few? There's a Personal. few. 
personal that I have had or that no, I like? No, that you like, that you've just, done over like. and over. Or you, you, I mean, everyone says fried chicken and champagne, champagne, which is delicious. I will argue fish and chips and champagne, you know. I think I think that's great. I think, honestly, on a rainy day, cold day, you have that. It's uh, So I ask this question to every guest, this group of questions, and champagne, fried chicken, champagne, popcorn, champagne, pizza. Nobody's ever said champagne and fish and chips. Mm. Now, people have said muscadet and oysters. I don't let people say champagne and oysters because that's too standard. So Michael's answer is a good one. It's fish and chips and champagne. That, is, that acidity is great. It's one of them. You know, I think uh, Provence whites or Southern Rhone whites and like a sea bass of a fennel and flambé with pastis and a beurre blanc flavored with anise is absolutely incredible. See, I love that's that. the Michael Engelman <laughs> I'm looking for. That's a good recommendation. All right. You have been around. I want Michael Engelman's favorite wine restaurant and or bar that does the wine service right. Let's just do New York. Are there a few places that you'll go to that you like, that you admire the way they do it? For wine? Yeah. A wine restaurant. Or just wine bar or... Or just restaurant? I mean, look, I, I Both. think... Both. E- either one. I think to this day, one of the great experiences I've had uh, dining in a restaurant was at Le Bernardin with Aldo Sam. Okay. Uh, before I knew him, before he was a friend. Incredible wine, that incredible was, list, incredible guy, incredible food. That was 10 years ago. The way he handled it was, I'd never seen that. Right. You know, the knowledge was right. The way he sat, he spoke, he... He's he, not he, a pretentious he, he, guy. He dealt with us. No, it was just like, it was, I was serious stuff. Um, do you have a wine bar you like? Look, I love Racine. Racine. I know it's Arnold. a French place. Yeah, no, 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 no. Trust me, that's when Pascaline was at Rouge and Company. There's a handful of places that always come yeah, up. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all the way down on Chambers. And yep. I think the wine is, there's always wines I don't see, or with age, or with things like that. And That's that's it, why it's a good place. Is it, is it more, a bit more a restaurant? Yeah, but there's a there's no, no, no. Can, There's no rule, yeah. restaurant, bar, or whatever. Um, those are good ones. I'll post those. Does Michael Engelman have a favorite all-time wine? Is there a wine that, to this day, or a couple of wines that is just so memorable, you can pull it out and recall? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be some... There was a, there was a very special uh, Riesling for a special occasion. Uh, Riesling, yeah, 19, wow, from a great a, vintage in wh- Germany. Wow, what a surprise! Assam picked yeah. <laughs> a Riesling. What uh, was it? It was 1971 Egon Müller. Wow, an Auslese, and it was just. When was, did it, you it, have this? It was a gift. It was a gift from a friend, and it was very special. Uh, but what else? So I've, I've been lucky to try some really cool, all rare ones I wanted to in Sydney, but there's. There's been some really great more wineries. in Sydney than even in New York. No, I mean, honestly, both. honestly, I, I thought about that the other day. I went to, a, I was selected for like a, a small wine retreat for four days. Uh, it's, it's not a wine retreat, but it's they opened a bunch of old wines from Australia, and during that week, three of the top ten wines I've had to this day were the were Australian. I mean, um, one of them is Australian, two of them are French, and to this day, they just. Those wines don't exist. I what mean, was the Australian? It was a 1955 uh, Wins. Uh, wow. uh, Cabernet Sauvignon from South Australia, 1955. And it held up well? It was, well, was mind-blowing. 55? Yeah. It's my birth year. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just gave it away. I'm yeah. an old guy. All right. 
Tell me this. I ask everyone. I know you're on the restaurant side, but tell me, my oldest son's 28, starting to make a few bucks. I yep. always say this. He's going to a dinner party, wants to bring a few bottles of wine, doesn't want to bring crap, doesn't have money to buy a lot of you know expensive wines. So give me your best wine retail recommendation around 15 bucks, 15 to 20. Give me a red. Give me a white. You can give me a category. You can give me a maker. You can give me both. Look, I honestly think you nailed it with the one with the red one you picked. So uh, it's, it's a Ribera Sacra, a Ribera Sacra from Spain, fifteen sixteen bucks. It's fifteen red sixteen wine. bucks, and I think for what you get, it's delicious. It's 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 lighter, it's spicy, it's good food. It's so fresh, wine. yeah, and it's it's so drinkable. You can and Alguera as a maker because I'll post it. I I like the wines a lot. You okay. can you can drink a bottle uh, of it and feel good about it the next day. So. All right, so give me a white recommendation. A white recommendation. I don't Fifteen try. bucks, twenty or less. Fifteen, twenty. I mean, look, if you wanted white, I'll probably go somewhere in the Loire Valley, some Chenin Blanc. Muscadet, Chenin Blanc. Oh, it could be a Muscadet, yeah. Okay. Uh, you definitely have affordable or some sort of Chenin Blanc, something. I don't have a a maker. That's okay. Yeah. So Loire white, mm. good value for um, fifteen to twenty bucks. Yeah. Yep. Dry, ger- dry German Riesling. Or- for that price range? The, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can find that stuff. All right. So I'll, I'll post all those suggestions. All right, Michael, we're going to wrap the show up, and we're going to wrap it up tasting the little wine. And we have two bottles in front of us. Every week, we taste a different wine on air. For our weekly wine sip this week, we'll taste a 2015 Alguera Ribera Sacra made from the Mencia grape from Spain. I brought that in. Michael brought in, tell me quickly what you brought in, a South African Shannon. Who's the maker? Uh, Roll, R-A-L-L. And what's the vintage year? 2015. And 100% Shannon? No, it's mostly Chenin Blanc and there's a bit of Chardonnay, Viognier. Okay, so it's a blend. Um, The Ribera Sacra retails for around 15 bucks, and Michael put that up as definitely a red wine um, to look for at that price range. What's the retail on... The South African. I've never seen retail because I bought it all. <laughs> uh, it would be around twenty. Okay, twenty so that's, max twenty five. Okay, so uh, that's that's a sweet spot for this uh, kind of wine. Um, we talked a little about Ribera Sacra and Alguera. It's a hot, exciting region. It's a good producer. Just tell me a little about the Mencia grape, which it's made from, some characteristics. Yes, yeah, so I, was, I was lucky to go in a region seven years ago. And honestly, to this day, one of the most incredibly beautiful and impressive regions. Such very steep terraces, very rocky right. soils. Mencia, we often like to say it's a bit like a, a Syrah meets Cabernet Franc. I think there's a bit of that spiciness, peppery. Uh, it's medium-bodied, some red fruit. Uh, I think it's grown on schist. Yeah. So it has that quality. Um, no oak, right? There's an earthiness. I, I don't. I don't know. I think this one doesn't. Here, have, but it doesn't I checked taste, it. It doesn't taste like it. No uh, oak. It, it can vary, you know, whether oak, no oak, and and a producer. But I think it, I think it's such a, a good one. You know, Thanksgiving. You have to wait for a few months. But turkey, cranberry, and this stuff like good. that. This is awesome. All right. So you got ahead of me. I was going to say, what does this pair well with? So this mm. would be a good Thanksgiving wine. No, no doubt. All right. So let's just taste it on the air. So color is there is a translucence to it, but it's a deep red, right? Yeah, dark ruby red. Um, talk to me about your nose descriptors. 
Uh, I got a smokiness. To me, it's a bit more like a, a, a smoked meat. There right? is a smokiness. I don't say brisket. I know Jeff Porter was on the show the other day. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I think there's like a, a blueberry, dark cherry. There is a smokiness. Yeah. And I think there's a spiciness, a bit of peppercorn, black peppercorn, spicy. Yep. All right. Mouthfeel is medium. I think it's, yeah. It's not light. It's not, you know, full or whatever. It's medium. De- depending on what people usually drink, you know. If they drink heavy, full-bodied Shiraz or Cabernet, that's going to be very light. But right. I say medium-bodied. Very fresh, dry, good acidity, right? Yeah, you have that you know mouth watering feeling that you you want to cr- you crave it, you want you salivate, you want to drink more, yeah. and you want to eat with it. Yep. And on the palate, I get some cherry. Yeah. That smokiness and leather. What else do you get? I think leather definitely smoky, spicy, blueberry, cherry fruit. All right, so we pair. And there's, a, there's an earthy, you know. There's like there a, is an earthy. I think that smokiness is also a bit that that stony, rocky uh, feeling you have. Is that where the smokiness comes from? I think it's part of it. Okay. Yeah. And Michael said a great Thanksgiving wine. Outside of Thanksgiving, what else could we drink this with? Uh, I mean, you could do a little quail and pomegranate. You could do... Uh... So funny. I'm making that for dinner tonight. Are you? <laughs> quail and pomegranate. Yeah. No. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, what, what, what real people eat? I don't know. Make a great ham and cheese sandwich. Okay. It'll there be, you go. It'll be awesome. All right. So that's the uh, 2015 Alguero Ribera Sacra, an exciting region to look towards. All right, Michael, you brought in a Chenin Blanc from South Africa, which is another exciting region. Um, what did you say? It was a 16 or a 15? Uh, that's 15. All right, so tell me a little about the producer in the region. So that's north of Cape Town, you're about an hour and a half. I mean, it comes from a different region, but most of it an hour and a half north of Cape Town. Uh, Are there a lot of vineyards around that area? There's a lot of vineyards. There's a lot of old vineyards. Uh, It's surrounded by mountains. It's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Chris Donovan must be six feet, six, five. I don't know. He's gigantic. Uh, Met him. He's he's super chill. You know, South South African surfer. Yeah. And... Makes a white, makes, makes a couple of whites. How makes old a red. is the winery? Is it fairly? Uh, that's that's fairly new. I can't remember the okay. vintage now, but less than five years. Wow, uh, really? Young. Ma- makes a few hundred cases of that. So can we get it here in the states, or it's hard? You can get it at a modern. Okay, so <laughs> we're gonna. There's the invitation right there. So we're gonna taste this. So this is the Chenin Blanc from South Africa. Spell yeah. the maker again. It's a R A L L. R A L. All right. So it's kind of a light golden wine. Looks like it's got some good viscosity. Let's throw it over the tongue. Incredibly plush in the mouth. Right? Yeah. Give me some nose descriptors. I think there's a white peach. Uh, there's a bit of an orange skin or blossom or something like that. There's some juicy pear. Beautiful, right? Uh, there's a plushness that I think is a bit of yoni, the chardonnay, the winemaking. It's a warm region, but that finish is so fresh. Yeah. You know? It's a very fresh wine. You have acidity. Very old soil, and I think you get that, again, that earthy, uh, kind of drying feeling on your tongue on the finish. That mm. is, I think... What give me some uh, palate descriptors on top of the uh, the round no. mouthfeel, creamier mouthfeel? I think again, dry uh, salivation again uh, right. by the grapes, the acidity, and the everything, acidity. the soil. Uh, 
granitic soil here. And uh, and yeah, I just think it's delicious. You know, it is a delicious it's, wine. It, I think it's a good bridging wine if you want something that's fresh, but if you also want something that's a bit more texture uh, at the table, or if you just want a, a glass of it. So let's put it in context for a second. You're going to the modern, mm. incredible menu. Um, you want to not spend a ton of money on wine. You can get a bottle of this there or a glass. I uh, both. And a bottle is approximately? 75. Incredible yeah. wine. If you're eating yeah. fish and other food, you know, that we mentioned, it's a great wine. Service included. So a big, smart, fancy-schmancy guy like Michael at his big, fancy-schmancy restaurant can turn you on to some incredibly delicious wines. And there's 2,999 <laughs> other ones you can taste, too. I'm all this. <laughs> all right. Um, I will post all the wines that we tasted and talked about on social media because we did talk about a lot of great wines. And the reason I brought you in is because I knew you would be able to bring us down that path. So I want to share that with everyone. Uh, Michael, we're going to conclude the show. If you have a question, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Follow us on fa uh, Facebook. Follow us and like us. We're at The Grape Nation. Um, we'll post Michael's wine list answers. We'll post our weekly wine sip wines. And we'll talk about some of the wines that excited Michael um, on our social media. So you can go out and buy them, taste them. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby. And follow us at The Grape Nation at hashtag The Grape Nation. Um, and Twitter at BenRuby. Michael, you have an interesting um, Instagram and Twitter handle. What is it? Uh, sommelier57. I get the sommelier part. I don't get the 57 I know. part. <laughs> what is that? Everyone asks for that. Uh, 57 is the number of my region where I'm from. You know. Okay. Uh, so there's I, some I, logic to that. There is some logic. It's uh, you know I started my email account, my uh, my Instagram account years ago. I was like, what, okay. what am I going to say? My, my name is too complicated and too long. So, so follow Michael on Instagram and Twitter at Sommelier57. Um, you'll get a peek into what Michael does, what wines he's serving, drinking. Um, the life of a sommelier. I follow him. I've been following him. It's fun and interesting. Um, I want to thank our guest, Master Sommelier Michael Engelman. Michael is the wine director at The Modern and Untitled, both in New York City. Thank you to our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.